You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of the partnership nature of what Ducks Unlimited does, specifically when we're talking about our state partners. We're on location with this particular episode at the Louisiana Ducks Unlimited State Convention in Lafayette, Louisiana. We're here in the second week of sort of the second week of June. It's hot outside. We're inside taking a break from it to do a little bit of talking about the importance of the conservation work that we do. And I have a a host, a a slew of guests here for us for this episode, and I'm happy to have them here. First up, we have... Mike Carlos, Director of Conservation Programs for Ducks Unlimited here in Lafayette. And from Canada... Dave Kosterski from York and Saskatchewan, working for Ducks Unlimited Canada, Manager of International Partnership. And here with the state agency in Louisiana... Jason Olzak, I'm the Waterfowl Program Manager for the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, uh, based out of Lafayette, Louisiana. The first thing that I want to do is kind of give each of you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your background, very briefly, because we can't go into a whole lot of, uh, chew up a whole lot of time with this, but just to give people an idea of your length of time with Ducks Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited Canada, and then Jason, I want to talk about, let people know your new position that you're in here recently, so we're going to do a little bit of round robin on that. Mike, let's start with you. Tell the people about yourself, and you're about to, you're going to be leaving us here soon, so you got to tell soon, us that, yeah, too. yeah, like 20 days or so, something like that, so real soon, but uh, yeah, so I've retired from Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries after about 28 years of service, most of it dealing with managing WMAs and our refuges, um, and then working out of it with the administration out of the Baton Rouge headquarters, and I've been with DU for eight and a half years. And you're re- retiring, finally going to retire I'm here in about 20 retiring. days. Yeah, yeah. I committed to five years, and it's been eight and a half, so it's. I think it's time. You're not good at math. Either it's time or you're math. not good at math. No, so. <laughs> that's right. That's right. A little bit of both. And, and so Dave Kostersky from Canada, you're here in Louisiana. You make this trip as often as you can. You can tell us about that, You're, the importance of you being here. I know we're going to get into that, but take the opportunity now to even talk about that as well. Sure. So, I mean, I, hey, this is the first time I've been allowed to come to Louisiana Convention. My boss, Pat <laughs> oh, Kehoe, really? who okay. always comes to this convention, finally let me about come. That. He's at the board meeting along with a bunch of other folks. So I get to come to the Louisiana Convention. I'm excited about it. I've had a lot of fun already. Looking forward to the roadkill cook-off. I mean, I'm a biologist from from the start, that's what I did when I started with DU, and been with DU for 30 years, and uh, been been doing a bunch of stuff, but right now, you know, it's just kind of evolved. My 
biology helped me out when I started doing this state partnership thing. And so just working, excited to work with the state agencies, get to work with a, a ton of them. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I come down here to keep that relationship with LDWF going, but also with all our volunteers who are the people that buy the licenses here in Louisiana and help support the work that, that we do in Canada. And then Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. I started with the department in 2007 as a regional biologist. Uh, it's been about two years doing that, and then moved into the waterfowl program as a wetland bird specialist. Um, really got to uh, uh, work it with with exactly what I got into this field for, which which was habitat work. So. Um, for the last, I guess, 13 years then, I've, I've been working with NRCS, with WMAs, um, Ducks Unlimited as partners on uh, um, a slew of habitat projects uh, throughout the state. And um, when the opportunity <coughs> arose to to move in, step into the uh, Waterfowl Program Manager, um, um, took that took that opportunity. Thanks for being here with us, with us, Jason. You and I worked together a fair bit whenever I was back here in Louisiana. We would on on a, maybe some committees together, trade emails every now and then. And so I'm happy to have you in that in this in your new position. I will provide a bit of reference for some of the listeners that may have heard your predecessor, been familiar with the predecessor. He was on our podcast several times. Larry Reynolds uh, was the, the person who was previously in the position that you now hold. Larry went on to another position and now you're, I won't say you're the new Larry Reynolds because we can't necessarily assign that distinction to anyone. And Certainly. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, just to give people an idea when we think about Louisiana, you know, and the importance, what Louisiana does for waterfowl, what it means for waterfowl and the people that manage it. Uh, a lot of people would have known Larry, at least heard him on the podcast. And so you're now that person they'll be hearing from you as we go forward with additional reports from Louisiana. We tried to line that up, I think earlier That's this right. year, but our schedules yeah. couldn't, uh, couldn't match up. But thanks for being here with us, Jason. Good to have you. I think we'll start out here coming back to you, Mike. I want to, at the very beginning, I, I said, this is going to be a conversation to emphasize the importance of partnership between Ducks Unlimited and our state agencies. There's nothing that Ducks Unlimited does, our family of organizations, that we do by ourselves. Everything we do is rooted in a partnership, whether it be fundraising, whether it be delivering habitat work, whether it be policy work. Every single thing that we do involves a partnership our state partners across the U.S., and I'm sure you could say your provincial partners when we 100%. get into Canada, are absolutely critical to, the, to, our, to achieving our mission. We're going to ask our state agencies, and they're probably going to tell us that the exact same thing holds true, that they could not deliver on their mission without partners like Ducks Unlimited and so many others. So that's the purpose of this episode is to give people an idea of what some of the different pieces of that partnership look looks like. We're here in Louisiana, so we're going to use it as an example. It is a high-priority area for us. We do a ton of work here, but there are similar conversations that we could have in every single state and province uh, within the same context of partnership. So, Mike, as the person, as our Ducks Unlimited person here in, in Louisiana, well, you actually cover more than have a responsibility much much broader than, than Louisiana. So, in your response to this question, feel free to to reach outside of the state of Louisiana for, for your response. Uh, talk about a little more on why working with our state partners is so important uh, to, to what we do. Okay, yeah, that's, a, that's an important question. Um, 
why it's so important for state for state partnerships. And I mean, of course, the, the bulk of it is here in Louisiana and in other states like Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, you know, those state land ownerships, right? Um, much of that is public land and utilized um, by the public for hunting, fishing, whatever it may be. So that's, you know, that's the, the big nexus, right, that we have to be part of, I think. Um, as our, you know, constituents depend on wanting us to do work with, you know, in areas that they can benefit from, then, you know, there's the clear link that we have to do that. So Wildlife and Fisheries here in, in Louisiana has been instrumental. I mean, they own over 1.6 million acres, uh, and a lot of that, much of that area is wintering waterfowl habitat. Some of it's refuges, um, but a lot of it, again, is WMAs and open to public access. So doing that kind of work is is critical. Um, And then there are other federal agencies, such as, you know, Fish and Wildlife Service, where we get NACA funds administered through, um, and in private ownership of land, like ConocoPhillips and other big land ownership. Um, Texas is a little bit different, but um, really it's all the same. Different private landowners, much of the same in terms of federal agencies and similar state agencies. But but those are a critical link to make, make the work possible uh, and their willingness to work with us. You know, yeah, we can go out and get the funds and it's should be pretty lucrative, but some people don't want to deal with that, right? But but our state agencies, uh, especially wildlife and fisheries, they know the importance of that. Fundamentally, we are delivering habitat conservation for waterfowl, wetlands conservation. And in some way, you know, we, we, we talk about conservation is our business. Many people have probably heard that tagline that Ducks Unlimited uses. Our clients, our customers, are a lot of the people that own the habitat that we are enhancing, that we are conserving. That includes the public agencies as well as the private landowners, right? And so that's kind of that we have to we have to be in partnership with them to help achieve our mission, and then vice versa. Jason, coming to you as the LDWF representative here, talk about that same very question: Why are these external partners so important? Why can't LDWF just kind of build a fence around itself and say we're going to take care of everything ourselves? Sure. Well, um, you know, as a, as a state wildlife agency, we have more on our plate than just wetlands, waterfowl, waterbirds. Um, so, dividing up that labor um, is 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 essential to getting to, to getting the work done. Um, you know, we as Mike said, we we own a lot of the land. Um, we our employees manage it. Um, our biologists and technicians uh, out in the field. Um, however. There, Ducks Unlimited fills in some of the gaps with the the engineering, the um, grant uh, administration, um, uh, and, and even the the conservation design. So, so they fill in some of those some of those um, uh, knowledge gaps um, where we don't have the personnel that are day to day working on those 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 issues. One of the other things that a lot of people may not be aware of is that when we talk about how Ducks Unlimited and state partners uh, work together, yes, there's a lot of the work that occurs locally, but then there's also the recognition that from a waterfowl standpoint, a lot of the ducks that that the hunters of Louisiana like to pursue come from outside the state, right? And so if Louisiana wants to support uh, effort habitat conservation efforts to produce more ducks. Yeah, you can do it for wood ducks. You can do it for model ducks, black-bellied whistling ducks. Now, more recently here in the state. But talk about how the state views the importance of Ducks Unlimited uh, for 
helping conserve breeding habitats, habitats outside of the state boundaries that ultimately influence what your hunters experience and can benefit from? Certainly. um, Well, you know, there are only a handful of species that that exist throughout the year in Louisiana. The rest of them and, and the bulk of the, what makes up hunters' bags in Louisiana comes from from out of state, from up north on the prairies. Um, I would say, you know, Louisiana it might be a, um, uh, a unique state in that our our three top priorities, habitat priorities, match up exactly with with some of the top priorities of Ducks Unlimited of NAWAMP. The Mississippi Valley, the Gulf Coast, and the Prairies. So, uh, obviously, we can all, we're we're confined within the state boundaries of where where we can work uh, on habitat within the state. Um, but but Ducks Unlimited um, fills that role again for us up north. Uh, some of my predecessors uh, in in the agency years ago, going back to 1965, recognized that reading area up in Canada and, and northern the northern states, the prairie states, was where the production of ducks that are eventually coming down, migrating to Louisiana was. So the importance of, of sending money up there to get the habitat done, get habitat management done, um, uh, was, was quite important. Ducks Unlimited was, was in place to deliver that habitat up there. Jason, that's a great transition for wanting to, to talk to Dave here. Will you, do you have something to add there, Dave? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, you know, I've, I've been doing this partnership thing with the states for a while, and I, I kind of view it like it, it's your breeding grounds, right? It might be in Canada, but it's Louisiana's breeding grounds. And, and because Louisiana or LDWF doesn't have staff up in Canada, can't, um, you're contracting Ducks Unlimited to do your conservation work up on those breeding grounds. And so we just happen to be that organization that's developed the expertise to do wetland conservation and grassland conservation, whatever needs to be done to be a good partner that not only takes your dollar, but matches it and sends it up there. And then our staff up there work really hard on the ground and build relationships to do your conservation work for you. And uh, that's how I've always looked at it. And I think it's an opportunity for us to, to think about it in a way that we're all collectively always leveraging each other's resources and, and skill sets. It's a pretty pretty interesting thing to realize that state agencies acknowledge the importance of areas outside their their boundaries uh, for delivering a product that ultimately comes to their to their constituents the people in their state we talked with someone else about this on a previous episode the same sort of applies at a federal level when we talk about the North American Wetlands Conservation Act a portion of those funds which are funds uh, allocated appropriated by the US federal government actually go to do conservation work in Canada as well as in in Mexico. And so the reason for that is because we are talking about a migratory resource, one that does not pay attention to political boundaries. And the fact that we have people, decision makers, politicians, agency managers that recognize that and have fought hard enough to get people to agree to do that, to put in place whatever policies need to be uh, need to occur to enable that funding to flow to those areas outside their states, it's pretty remarkable to think about, right? That 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 a state or a federal agency would go along with that. But there is, there are very structured ways by which that happens. What I want to talk about now, specifically as it relates to what y'all were talking about and how Ducks Unlimited works with the states to deliver state funding 
to do conservation work in Canada is something called the Fall Flights Program. It used to be the State Grants Program, right, Dave? It was the State Funding for Canadian NAWAMP and NACA Projects in Canada Program. That's what it was. And so that was something that was really hard for people to wrap their tongue around. And we, you couldn't call it state grants because state agencies have a state grant program. Mm. And so it, it had these other names. And, and one of the things that when we went through a task force, we do these task forces at the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which is an organization of all the wildlife agencies that LDWF's a part of. They said, we need to brand this thing. We, we need to give it a name that makes more sense that everybody can roll off and, and, and gives it an identity. And so that's where the fall flights came up. And that, that really just got established a couple of years ago. But yeah, it's state agency funding, uh, called it fall flights, and uh, it's really catching on. Everybody's using it, and it's been a, it's been a good Step. Talk about that in a bit more detail. Uh, what what is it? I mean, it's how did it come about? How long has it been in existence? You said the Fall Flights program by that name has only been in existence Couple for a few years. years. But this, but there there was a, a program in place prior to that, right? Or, or of some nature. So talk about that as well, and and how all of that happens, and the decisions that 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 occurred to make it happen. You know, it, it go back, goes back to, to what Jason was saying about Louisiana Department started sending money in 1965. Um, before that, I mean, really, DU had major donors that started sending money to Canada from the very beginning of the organization, right? Back to 1937, DU started started raising money, sent it to Canada. The state agencies really just followed what, what the private donors were doing. They were sending money up to the breeding council. They knew it was important. And so you have all these state agencies, Louisiana, one of the first, and then they started following suit throughout the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s. And then when the North American plan came in, that 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 plan at the, the drought of the 80s that was so pivotal to waterfowl conservation on this continent, um, one of the things that, that didn't come with that plan was money. But we knew that states were doing this. They'd already been doing it on their own. And so someone came up with the idea of this amazing legislation called NOC or the North American Wetlands Conservation Act. And I think we, we, we underestimate just what all had to fall into place for that piece of legislation that has really uh, transformed waterfowl conservation, not only in Canada, but here in Louisiana and I think everywhere across the continent because some of that money even gets supported work down in Mexico. So, I, I you know, this, this transition from private funding to state funding then to the federal government becoming part of this was just phenomenal. Let's use Louisiana as an example. Jason, do you know how much Louise, LDWF is contributing to the fall flights program right now? In recent years, it has averaged about 270000 a year. And that money comes from what source? Well, there's been a, a few changes here recently. Um, going back a few years, that was it was uh, statutorily dedicated 10% of um, hunting license revenues. Um, so there's been, as I said, a little, a little bit of uh, change here recently. And now we have a um, the Louisiana Duck License Stamp and Print Fund, which goes to the Conservation Fund. And half of that may be dedicated to uh, conservation in the breeding grounds. And so then, Dave, what happens to that money? That's the thing that is really exciting. It's not like that's the only, it's like Louisiana gives that money to Ducks Unlimited to do this work, and that's the only funding that, that we have. Talk about the way we leverage that funding and why it makes 
this investment by Louisiana and all the other states such an attractive proposition? Well, that's exactly it. So the LEWF money gets matched, but it gets matched by Ducks Unlimited first. So Ducks Unlimited down here in the state, Mike Carlos, the team here down in the U.S., they match that state dollar. And then that gets matched. We apply for NACA funding as a Canadian partner. And then so we take those two dollars and match it with NACA. And then when it goes to Canada, one of the neat things is the exchange gains. So the dollar is different, right? So most of the time, the Canadian dollar is weaker than the U.S. dollar. So we'll see anywhere from 20 to 30 percent increase in actual dollars on the ground in Canadian dollars once you get it up there. So it's really a, a minimum of a three to one or four times the original dollar and as much as, you know, five times that. And uh, then there is also additional Canadian dollars that come into play, and then those are used to leverage additional dollars. But the basic match is one to one and then match it with the NACA. So it, it really, it's the power of leveraging that makes this program so valuable to uh, to return on investment for the donors and for the agency itself. How many, I mean, I have to ask you a few questions here, Dave, about the program in terms of uh, how many states participate, total amount of funding that we're seeing right now, if you have any idea on the acres affected. Can you speak to some of those statistics? Yeah, I can. So we, because we work closely with Ducks Unlimited Inc., because we, I mean, we're not down here. I, I'm down here at the convention, which is great, but I, I can't be at you know, 44 currently, 44 of the lower 48 states participate in this program. We only have a handful that aren't. Um, so I got people like Mike Carlos down here in, in this part of the world, and he's the point guy with the state agencies in the states that he's over. I uh, got teams in all the regions of Ducks Unlimited Inc. That are, that are helping facilitate this. And so with that, that mechanism of having those people help us work on this program day in and day out, then we can grow it. And so we've grown. I started working on this almost 20 years ago. It was before I started before me, but I've been working on it for about 20 years. And we've grown from 28 states to 44 states. We've grown from about two and a half million a year to right around four million a year. And one of the things that people don't know is there's actually a goal tied to this program. That's about, it's a $10 million goal per year that this program really is trying to trying to raise. And this isn't a Ducks Unlimited program. I want to make sure that everybody understands that. This is an Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies program. This Fall Flights program is something that is endorsed and is actually the, the program of that agency or that organization. And we are just the facilitating body that's one of the receiving recipients and facilitators of that program. So the Fall Flights program is one that all the state agencies are a part of. They pass the, the, the recommendations of the task force, and then they try to work towards them. And that includes a $10 million goal that's shared among all the states, all the lower 48. A question that I, that I actually don't know the answer to, Dave, I think I know, but I want to make certain... Fall Flights program only funds work in Canada? Correct. Is that right? Okay. Correct. And so that's important, obviously, when we're talking about what we were with Jason earlier, earlier about that's where the ducks are produced that, that Louisianans enjoy and other states enjoy as well. Obviously, ducks are produced in the, in the Dakotas and Montana and Great Lakes, but when you look at some of the information, some of the data on where a preponderance of the ducks 
that are harvested in Louisiana come from of various species, Prairie Canada lights up as super, super important. I don't have the number right offhand. I don't know if you do, Dave, like what percentage of the harvested birds in harvested mallards or gadwall or whatever. Oh, man. I mean, it varies, obviously. Um, and band return data always has some limitations to yeah. how to interpret it. But, yeah. I mean, you, you can make a clear link that, that uh, a large proportion of the Louisiana ducks harvested mallards, gadwall, green wings, blue wings, so on, do come from Prairie Canada. And also from the northern U.S., the Prairie Pottle region of the North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, those are critical areas as well. So that Prairie Pothole region, though, and if you add the, you know, the boreal to it, you're talking about 70% of the production, Prairie Potholes and the boreal of Canada. So that's the critical part. One of the things I think that's, that, that, that's amazing is we are this continental organization that gets to work with you guys, gets to work with all these different partners. And so your investment in Canada, but the investment as a continental organization back here in Louisiana is so phenomenal too. And I, I love when I'm, I'm looking forward to, I get to see Rockefeller Marsh in, in about a month. I'm gonna come back for the national convention. We're gonna tour that. So I'm excited to see that too. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. couple more questions for you, Dave, uh, related to this program. Give people an idea of the type of projects that uh, the type of projects that that money funds. Like, what are we talking about down here in Louisiana? We would think about water control structures. We would think about we would think about some type of intensive management of coastal marsh or something. That's not exactly what we're talking no. about up there. So, give people an idea of how this money is spent on what kind yeah. of projects. One of the things that that, that, that folks that haven't been up there uh, struggle in understanding is the birds spread out. You'll get a pair on this pond maybe a pair of mallards and, and greenwing on this pond. That pond might have a pair of shovelers. And the, if it's a deep pond, you might have a pair of redheads on it. Um, the, so you have this vast landscape that is required because they all set up territories, right? And so the habitat work that we do up there requires us to cover large areas. And so what we do is some large protection type habitats, large easements, trying to do at least quarter section and sometimes multiple quarter sections. I'm quarter sections, 160 acres. So protecting the existing habitats is a critical part, and we do a lot of easements. An example, last year in Prairie Canada, we did 30,000 acres of easements in Prairie Canada between Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. So, so big acres in one year. And so an easement, legal instrument that, that protects that grassland or wetland, the landowner retains ownership and retains certain rights to use it in, in certain ways, but it, it preserves the grassland and the wetlands the way it's written. Is that right? Absolutely, into perpetuity. So it's not a term easement. These are all forever. And so you give them a one-time payment somewhere between 30 to 40% of fair market value, and it's protected in perpetuity. But yes, it keeps the wetlands there, the grasslands, any of the nat nature. 
natural or native habitats, but also some tame grasslands. We can build that into there as well that allows for rejuvenation. So we also buy land and set it aside. Ducks Unlimited owns it, pays the taxes on it. Um, we do lots of programming with landowners. So we do grassland conversions. So take cultivated acres and turn them into grass and provide incentives to landowners to do that. And one of the more innovative ones that people have a hard time wrapping their head around is the whole winter wheat program, which I'm sure you've heard of, Mike, but it's really all about finding something to do in that cultivated landscape because it's really tough. And and the big thing that winter wheat does is there's no cultivation or seeding activity in the spring because it's done in the fall. So because you do that in the fall, there's no disturbance and you can get a type of cover that comes up by about late May, early June that's actually attractive to waterfowl and surprisingly some, some other birds, some other grassland birds and other species are using it too, but it's a pretty cool thing. And I would just add to that, Mike, too, that's that's part of the funding uh, uh, process for Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries is that we put out a, a request for proposals for habitat work in Canada, but there are some strings to that. Um, and, and two of those, well, the, the main two that, that uh, Dave alluded to are, are, are an integral part of, those, of what we want to see in those proposals. And that's e- either habit, um, acquisition, land acquisition, or putting them putting that land into perpetual easement so that protects that land from here from here on we don't have to worry about spending money on, on in protecting that acre ever again yeah for sure and that's about in a typical proposal about 70% of the dollars that we would put in a proposal is going to be for perpetual protection little bit goes into some of the other landowner programs. And then, of course, you have to manage the habitat. So we have thousands, of, well, in Saskatchewan, we've got, we own about 200,000 acres and we have about 200,000 acres of easements. So we're pushing half a million acres that we've got this perpetual responsibility for going forward. And Dave, tell us a little bit about what's involved in that kind of management. Are we talking about some grazing that occurs? Do you do any prescribed fire on that prairie landscape? So on the land that we own, we don't do fire anymore. We, we did that early on. Um, but we find grazing is the primary tool. It, it just, it's, it's better for the long-term diversity of the stands that are up there. It's more neighbor-friendly. Um, when, when a neighbor's got cows and they could use some grass and you're burning the grass next to them, they, they, they don't like that they very scratch, much. They make them scratch them. their head. They wait a right. minute. Right, and I don't blame them at all. So we've really evolved into using grazing as a primary tool. We graze our stands every two to three years. It's a moderate graze after the nesting season, so it's it fits right in with waterfowl production. I want to clarify one thing for our listeners that may have caught an earlier episode when you, you said Ducks Unlimited purchases some land and you have about 200,000 acres, I think. Is that in what you said? In, in Saskatchewan, yeah. That's Ducks Unlimited Canada. Ducks Correct. Unlimited Incorporated owns very little, owns outright in, in permanent uh, fee title, very little land. We do have some, but most of the work that we do in the States is through those perpetual easements as well. I just like to clarify no, those things whenever I hear them and think about how our listeners may be piecing these things together. And so we're a continental organization made up of three individual organizations. And a lot of times we find ourselves just throwing around Ducks Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, but then there are different uh, specific organizations within that. So the way this works then is the states provide this funding to Ducks Unlimited. We deliver the projects. And then there is also some accountability that occurs that with this. It's not as though the states just give the money and, and turn 
turn turn and walk away and don't ask for any kind of reports or anything of that nature. It's like, what what goes into that? Reporting to the states, allowing the states to see what they're getting, what kind of product, what we're, we're delivering with those dollars. Talk about that a little bit, maybe both of you. Yeah, well, we're, even Mike, I mean, we work together. We, we develop the proposals and reports. Um, it's a contract. It's a contract. Every, every one of our partnerships, this isn't just a state giving Ducks Unlimited money. Um, for one, we're a nonprofit, so we, we don't stick it in our pocket. We spend it on the ground. That's our whole objective, to raise money. You raise this much money and you spend this much money. Ducks Unlimited's goal is to spend every dollar they raise each year. And so it's a contract with the state agencies. So in our contract with the Louisiana Department, it's usually a three-year contract. We put forward a proposal on what we say we'll do with it, and then it's our responsibility to send a report to show what we did, how many acres we accomplished of each activity, and uh, and how much it costs per acre to do those types of things. And and then they, every so often, Jason, you're gonna come up, hopefully, and, and check it out, but every so often, the, the agency needs to come up and see firsthand what that habitat is on the ground, make sure that the stuff that we said we did is there. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Like you said, three-year contract. Um, we get an annual report to review uh, each one of those three years, and then typically in the spring of that third year. Um, in the past, it's been the the waterfowl program manager, so I've got it on my calendar for t- spring of 2024 to to head up to Saskatchewan and and do some uh, I guess ground truthing for for lack of a better uh, term there. Um, check out what what our money's been been used on and the quality of that habitat. Have you have you spent much time on the prairies, Jason? I have in uh, in the past. You know, after between uh, undergrad and graduate school, yeah, I spent quite a bit of time up uh, up there. Yeah, both Canada and the, the U.S. prairies. I asked that question because we can show pictures and talk about the vastness of the prairie landscape and the thousands of prairie potholes that dot that millions when you really back up and look at the entire landscape. We can talk about that all day long, but you don't really grasp full appreciation for it until you're there on the ground. Dave, do you have any stories of how people just, when you bring them up and show them this landscape, they're, they're like, I, I had no idea. Do you get that? I do. And, and it, uh, a commissioner from a state, I won't say, um, one of his thoughts was like how he manages his wetland. He actually does some some guiding and he has a wetland area that he guides on and he's like oh, what are you guys doing for food for the waterfowl what are you doing like how are you feeding them and i'm like that's not a limiting factor in the prairie canada having the wetland there it's going to provide all the food the ducks need so they it's hard to comprehend until they came up and he came up and he was he was a challenging you know, commissioner that that was not sure that we should be sending money. And that's or they not a bad thing, right? I mean, he has to Ask represent the, the interest of his state constituents. And, and if we can't deliver the right answer, then we have a problem, right? And so right. it's great to have those people hold us accountable. Ask the questions, 100%. And so he asked the questions. And so we showed him here, and, you know, there's 3 million ponds across the Prairie Pottle region. That's what provides the food. The fields, you know, they're grazing, they're, they're, they're eating invertebrates. That's what provides the food. We don't need to provide food. What we do need to provide is the wetlands for them to do their pairing and broodering and all that. And we need to provide nesting cover. And that's the one that we discovered at the beginning of the North American plan that was the big limiting factors. They didn't have safe nesting cover. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. We don't need to feed them. 
One more question here for you, Dave, As before we close this one out. We'll do another episode here where we talk at, uh, about some of the more local, within Louisiana type of projects that DU and LDWF partners on. But from a, for the, the, the projects that are delivered in Canada, we've talked about the vastness of that landscape. How do you go about selecting sites that you, that you know are going to maximize the return on those particular dollars? You know, we're super fortunate in the Prairie Habitat Joint Venture. That's the joint venture that crosses Prairie Canada and up into the boreal. Is we've got, we've done some science early on in in the joint venture where we did a whole bunch of waterfowl telemetry work, a whole bunch of habitat evaluation work, nest success, all those things. We have a waterfowl productivity model, and we're extremely fortunate to have that model that allows us to measure just how productive a piece of habitat would be based on how many wetlands are there, what type of grasslands or other cover types. And so what we do is we have target areas. And this this thunderstorm map, target area map for Prairie Canada allows us to focus in on those. And then within those, we can even pick the best of the best. Uh, we've evolved. We actually have a cost tool now that we've added a cost element to it. So we actually have a scale of one to nine most cost-effective to least cost-effective tool that we layer above our targeting tool that tells us our return on investment for, say, an easement on this quarter section of land. And so having not only a productivity model, but then adding a cost tool element to it it just allows us to be the most efficient we possibly can with those dollars. And uh, yeah, it's at program level. It's really cool, really cool tool. Thank you, Dave. So the Fall Flights program, a very effective, very unique arrangement by which states from across the U.S. contribute funding and that is ultimately leveraged with multiple additional dollars to deliver habitat outside their boundaries, outside the, the, the country, uh, to conserve the habitat that, that produces the ducks that ultimately their constituents uh, benefit from. It's, it's an incredible model, and it's been very successful. And thanks for all the work that, that you all do in helping Uh, to make it successful and and moving it forward. We have a lot more to talk about when it comes to partnerships between Ducks Unlimited and our state agencies, LDWF in this particular case, and some specific examples of projects and priorities that we share and how we move forward on those and some additional grant programs that we'll talk about. We'll cover that in the next episode. But for now, thanks to each of you, Mike, Dave, and and, uh, Jason for being here with us. So we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thanks. A special thanks to our guests on today's episode, Mike Carlos, Dave Kostersky, and Jason Olszak. We appreciate their time being with us on this episode. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, who does a terrific job getting these episodes edited and out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. 
Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. 